0: flood has stopped, I guess that you have parted the ways for, for sunny weather for this interview.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, good. Hope everybody stays safe.
0: Yep. So can you tell us a little bit about how you became inspired to become an actor? Like, tell us a little bit about your acting history?
1: It, it happened through a course of events when I was growing up a kid so clumsy and disoriented not knowing what was going on. I was growing too fast. And so my parents decided that they would sign me up to dance class, which they did. And I fell in love with it. I thought it was great. It was the best thing ever. Six years old, by the time I was seven, Mm -hmm. I was getting paid to dance, okay? Which brings up a point, whatever anybody, anybody is passionate about and feels good about doing, they're going to do well at it, no matter what. Very
2: true. Very true. Yeah. yeah. You uh, you, you also uh, became something of a percussionist as well as you uh, got into high school and were doing it professionally even before you graduated. Yes, that's true.
1: So, so you
2: had a
0: passion for both. Huh? Nice. So you had a passion for both music and acting.
1: Yeah. Um, and by the time, we had signed a contract with a small record company called Vice. And by the time we graduated from high school, like one year out of high school, we signed with King Records, which is a company that Sam Cook recorded. And, uh, we started going on the road on weekends, uh, mostly California tours, okay. Cause we were all still in college. Some of them were still in high school. And, uh, so we kept it as local as we could, uh, just working our butts off and not making any money mm-hmm. and at the age of 19. I said, you know what? This is not going to work. And so I got out. I still play. Uh, friends will ask me to come and sit in with them or whatever. Uh, i produced a, a CD for a, a punk rock group, and uh, so I'm in, and I'm still involved in some way in music, but as, as terms of, in terms of, you know, making a steady living at it. <laughs> It's Mm -hmm. gone crazy. It's like uh, uh, Rolling Stone said that at one point their their library was worth $25 million and now it's worth because of the internet it's worth about 25 cents.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you did uh, you were in a a Biki- one of those Bikini Beach movies where you played drums for the Righteous Brothers, as I recall. Yes, I did. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, very cool guy. It was fun. I was I was the, the the running gag in that film. If you watched the film, you'll see me playing with them, and then you'll see me standing on a seat with a surfboard and you'll see me. Doing something else, and then seeing me in a club dancing with a girl, and seeing me here and me there. never really a character in the film, but I was always just there. You have quite a career, though,
0: too. Like a huge filmography, like in the early '60s to the early '90s, like through the evolution of television, through film, through various mediums, and it's like it's gone through a lot of changes in terms of like the way that. The evolution even of television, like, from times of, like, Gunsmoke, Batman, Star Trek, Mission Impossible, all of those ones, Fall Guy, you know, it's, like, even evolving into things like Hill Street Blues and going into even currently. So, can you tell me, like, give me a little bit of your impression of how it's changed over these, the time period, and how do you feel like your acting and all of that has changed over that time period?
1: Well when you keep doing something that you love to do, you have a tendency to get better at it. We already went over that. (laughs) Um, But in terms of the change in the industry, it's uh, it's just changed so much. Uh, It used to be about uh, perfection and and, uh, talent and uh, uh, really compelling performances by people and, good writing and all the rest of it and now it's just like everything else in the world it's all just about money right? television in particular is just something that will
2: hold your interest long
1: enough to get the next commercial
2: yeah I, I've often referred to uh, the evolution of television to today as sort of become the dumbing down of America exactly Exactly. Yeah. Now, uh, your first real real break uh, in terms of getting into uh, movie acting was working with Jack Hill. Now, how did you get started with him? I had graduated from the Bachelor of the
1: Playhouse, and uh, about a month after graduation, I got a call from one of my old instructors. Uh, telling me that a friend of hers, Dorothy Garzner who's the first female director in Hollywood, uh, was the head of the film department at UCLA. And she had a student who was preparing his student film and he just could not find a guy to play the lead that he liked. And did my instructor know someone that she could send over? She said, absolutely. Uh, she called me and uh, said, get your butt over to UCLA right now. They needed a kind of lead in this student film, and you better get the job. And that, that, that is indicative of the way that we were always treated with, with the Fashioned and It was, you, you were always on probation. You, uh, at the end of a semester, you went to your mailbox and if there was a little white envelope in there, you felt really good because that envelope is an invitation to stay for the next semester. You did not have an envelope in your mailbox. You just packed up your stuff and went.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I went, I met Jack, we had an interview. I, uh, I auditioned for him and, uh, did the film. And, uh, that's been something that's lasted for a long time at one point, when Tarantino saw footage of it and thought it was really cool. And it was never really completely edited. Uh, and so he finished off the, <clears throat> excuse me, finished off the film and had Miramax. Max, uh, put it as a companion disc to Switchblade Sisters, which was Jack Hill's film. So it lives on. <laughs> wow.
2: Thank yeah. You. Now one of my personal favorite films from the early sixties is Spider Baby or The Baddest Story Ever Told. That's what a what a what a great film. What great performances from you and Lon Chaney Jr. and yep. Beverly and Jill as the sisters were just over-the-top fun. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about the making of that film? Because it seemed like there was a lot of improvisation going on, or at least it had that feel of, you know, being kind of spontaneous.
1: (laughs) Well, we had to be because it was guerrilla filmmaking at its finest. Uh, We had the lowest budget possible to make that film. And uh, we had a lot of obstacles
3: Mm -hmm. to uh,
1: overcome. And uh, and so we were always kind of on our toes and switching things around. So that's probably why it had that kind of uh, improvisational look to it. Uh, When Jamie was absolutely fantastic to work with. For the first two days, I was in awe as a child on Saturday afternoons I'd go to the movies and watch watch Amy as the wolfman. and all of a sudden
2: I am working it's amazing yeah it's uh, it's 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 a little intimidating and at the same time exhilarating to, to work with someone that you've kind of idolized when you were a child
1: yeah yeah. And we made that film in eleven days.
2: Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's that's it 'cause yeah, I mean it's 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 very well paced. It doesn't feel like it was rushed or anything. Uh <clears throat> Jack Hill just did uh an incredible job not only coaxing the performances but keeping the pacing of the film so that it didn't, I mean, you know, some of Roger Corman's stuff that he shot in three days, you know, you you could tell everything was kind of rushed together. And uh, this movie didn't feel like that at all. No. It, 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 had, it, had a very, it had the look of
1: something that was really, very well thought out. Uh, <clears throat> and it was, but... It was just that element of having to improvise where we did the things that we needed and so on and so forth. I mean, Al Taylor, who was the uh, DP on that, <clears throat> was an amazing guy because he was seen where a and woman leans into the house and gets his ear cut off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we had to shoot him. Inside of the house, stuck through the window. There was only one problem: there was no power. And uh, Altair took six uh, reflectors from the front yard up to the house, through the hall, into that to get the light that we needed to to uh, to take that shot. That that's somebody that's genius, you know. Yeah! Wow! Yeah, shooting uh, uh, a sequence indoor, indoors,
2: grounding power. Wow! Yeah. So uh, you you shot quite a few uh, movies with Jack Hill. I know. Uh, You you you're actually kind of a a big part of the black exploitation. Film genre when it started. You were in a number of very key films like uh, Coffee, Foxy Brown. Uh, yeah, that even started even earlier
1: with uh, uh, The Big Dollhouse with Stan Greer, who, of course, became huge star. And, yeah.
0: variety of uh, directors, people from uh, Tarantino straight through to Jack Hill. Uh, so, can you tell me, in terms of your relationship of the actor-director relationship, what is it that you look for from a director that uh, they can give you and that uh, you would like to see in them when working with them?
1: I like that are not public message. Uh-huh. makes their vision clear to you what the audience is that they're looking for, and then they get out of the way and let you do the job. And that's the best kind of director to work for. Because if, first of all, if you had the faith in me to hire me, then why should they're pulling strings while I'm doing the film? Just let me do my job. The job
2: yeah. that you hired me to do. Hmm. Yeah. So it becomes then more of of a collaboration than. uh, I know there are some directors who are quite dictatorial. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it and it it doesn't it it doesn't say anything to the amount of faith that he has in the actors that he hired. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, yes, because you need that flexibility between the actor and director relationships to develop out the character, in the scenes. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Definitely, you uh, you would want that. All, and you would also uh, want as well within that relationship to have like a good, comfortable one. It's like, who have you felt in terms of the directors that you've worked with have been the most generous to you in that?
1: Uh-huh those
2: three. Those are, are there any directors that you don't feel comfortable, you know, working with again, whose directorial style just didn't, like, mesh with you as an actor? I don't want you to name names if you don't want to. But, uh, yeah, I won't name
1: names
2: because
1: they're not here. Either, so. but, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Yeah, there's uh directors that I've worked with that had absolutely no clue of what it was like they were foreign the strings, and uh, so those are people that I would work with again. Yeah, but- now. It-
2: Oh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Grayson.
1: Oh,
0: I was going to also ask one uh, one more question in regards to that. It's like because a lot of the times storylines are oh. really important, and as people uh, mature in Hollywood and mature uh, through that actor director relationship, it's like, do you think that also in terms of the industry that we are starting to. Get a little bit more diverse with storylines, or are we going? Are we pulling back from the diversity of storylines that we used to? Well,
1: because that's a little bit of both. There's uh, a lot of films that are being done just to make money, and then there are a lot of films that are, done that are artful, and those are the ones that. I was going to watch it you know? mm-hmm. so, so, on the plane, on the way to Detroit, I watched, uh, Thank you. And that's a, that's a great film. It's, it's people acting and the interacting, showing genuine emotion and, uh, love and character. Discipline and everything else. It's, uh, you know, it's great when you see that. And then you get these ultra low budget films that people are fired because of their media numbers. And mm-hmm.
2: Flat on their face.
3: Yeah.
2: Uh, it seemed like the 80s was kind of a strange face in in Hollywood uh, last year I was I was on a podcast where we were going you know decade by decade and picking the 10 best movies from each decade and we all had a problem finding 10 movies that we really liked from the 80s I mean yeah. what what happened it just seemed like everything was either ge- generic a remake or you know, that's, that's when the bean counters really stepped in. Okay.
1: It was all about profit and loss. Uh, you take a film like Ishtar. Okay. They decided that "Well, we'll load up this film with every giant star in the, in the, in the country. And it'll be a huge success. Well, it wasn't because it became a film about look at me, look at me. And, um, You know, production companies uh, became much more interested in uh, how much money the film was going to make as opposed to just making a really good film.
0: It was all about the dollars and cents at the time. Yes. And and not necessarily what counted for... Yourself as well in terms of, uh, of that. It's like, do you think that now we've fallen out of that pattern?
1: To some extent, and to some extent, uh, the business itself is the one thing that's hurting the business. Um, because I mean, when I first started fifty-five years ago, um coming up on 56, um, you could actually negotiate a contract. Okay. Mm -hmm. And particularly in television. Well, television was the first place where they had a thing called top of the show. And just by sheer accident, I guess (laughs) I say with a chuckle, uh, no show could uh, afford anything more than $2,500 per episode. And so you, there was no negotiation. It's, here it is, it's $2,500, take it or leave it.
3: Mm-hmm. And
1: uh, that's when things started to really crumble. And then the union, I guess, in an effort to try to get more films being made, giving more actors more opportunity to work, started negotiating contracts with producers that brought us low-budget films, ultra-low-budget films, student-budget films, and I've even heard, and I I don't even want to know if this is real or not, but ultra-low-budget deferred, which means nobody gets paid.
2: So, <laughs>
0: yeah, they do happen.
2: They do happen. Yeah. Yes, yeah, and um,
1: so they also. I mean, when I when I first started, and I went on an audition, um, I auditioned for the producer, the director, the casting director, the network casting director. Okay. And, uh, and either got the job or didn't. And now when you go in, you do a scene with somebody who could barely read, uh, in front of a video camera, you never see the director or producer, you never even get to meet them. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's the way things, that's the way things are done. And so. As an actor, you have to be able to work off of somebody else. You know, you have to work off of what they're giving you.
2: Uh, mm-hmm. They might as well not even have anybody there. Just I, 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 was, yeah, I was going to say, what they're giving you is not very much.
1: Yeah. And what they're
2: giving me is nothing.
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's something that along the way has got to get changed yeah it's it's good
0: to have that interaction with real people as opposed yeah. to a real green screen yeah
2: yeah yeah I mean, uh, 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 people have have this this misconception that Hollywood is going into some big producer's office you know when you're an actor and saying, I'm going to read this part for you, and they've got the star of the movie there to read across from you and you know, no, that's that's not what it's like at all. No, that's not what it's like at all. At all. okay
1: uh, 90% of the cases at this point, you don't even get to meet the producer. And you see the director the first time when you show up on the site for your work. Um, so, you know, there's just, there's no interaction. There's no exchange of ideas. There's no building of a character. You just you have to take a look at what's on the page and try to breathe life into it and and hope it all turns out.
0: And the, hopefully, you have a wonderful director to work against that helps to create that that atmosphere.
1: That's a big hope. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it's uh, have, uh, here's an interesting question, Sid. Have you worked also with a lot of female directors? Uh,
1: not a lot of female directors, no. And I don't know why, but uh, it just really hasn't, hasn't happened.
0: Do you feel that they also have that loving, giving relationship? Also, that helps with the actors because
1: of just enough opportunities. Two female directors that I've worked. There's two female directors that I've worked for that I I remember, and one was a puppet master, and the other one was. someone who was creative and would take what you were giving them and and help you to take that next step in the process okay uh as a for you know in, in terms of uh that was great but uh can you add this to it okay and then that sparks you to do something uh, a little different and it, and it, and it works out you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, becomes a
0: collaborative so what kind of projects would you want to see out there now like if you had the ideal dream of being able to uh, as as an actor coming into the producer end of it, what would you want to see out there, coming out there right now
1: I, I want to see heroic films I want to see people fighting adversity and coming out okay. Not being, you know, born in some slum neighborhood, winding up a multi-billionaire, but just realizing that if they change their lives in some way and actually do that, their lives become better. Okay. Uh, I did a film called The Little Big Top. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first time you see my character, I I was a uh, member of a a circus family. And my grandfather was a clown. My father was a clown, and I was expected to carry on the family business. And as an adult, I just couldn't stand the spotlight. So I became a hopeless alcoholic. And the first time you see my character, he's jumping off a freight train in his hometown to just live his life out as a drunk. There was one thing he forgot to do along the way, which was to pay off the mortgage, so he got foreclosed on. So now we have somebody who starts with absolutely nothing. And mm-hmm. By the end of the film, by the end of the film, you really get the feeling that he's going to be okay. And those are the kind of stories that I like.
0: Are they the kind that would entice you to come back to uh, to the acting?
1: I'm back. Oh, yeah, he's back. I about I'm talking about <laughs>
0: like, talking about, like you know continuing no.
1: no, no. I, like, I got four over,
0: over and over
1: I got four films in the can right now.
0: Yeah.
2: And and offers for two more. So, I'm always Ooh. working. Yeah. Now, uh for a while, you weren't working. Uh, you got a little fed up with uh, being kind of typecast as the tough guy with the gun. And right around uh, 1992, uh, you pretty much left Hollywood for ten years, except for making uh, the, you know one film with Quentin Tarantino. How how did that come about? Was this uh, Anything to do with that student film? He remembered you from it? Or how did all all that come about? Um,
1: It was a situation where he wanted me to play Marsalis in uh, Pulp Fiction. Okay. You know, the part that Big Rings did. Yeah. Uh, And I had had very long conversations with my agents telling them that you know, I just, I don't want to do any more television. I don't want to do anything that smells of television. Because in television, it's all about just how much work you can crank out in a day. And I just, I, I had it, you know. had okay. a lot of years under my belt already doing that kind of stuff. And I you know, I want I to be able to have the time to develop a character. And uh, Quentin called me in to do uh, an audition for Pulp Fiction. He made me sign one of the posters that he had in his office. That was from a film that I did, uh, before I left the office. He wanted me to do the role. I wanted to do the role. The dealer came down. It was for one day. If you remember that, that that film there were four locations involved. And how in the hell are you gonna do four locations in one day if it's not done by television? Rush, 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 hurry, 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 you just spit the words out, let's go.
2: Yeah. And
1: I and I had had it and nobody bothered to tell me that Clinton didn't work that way. If that one day's work turned into two weeks, oh well, so what? He got what he wanted. Okay, nobody yeah. bothered to tell me that, so I turned it down. Then years later, when uh, Jackie Brown, I mean, when, uh, uh, yeah, it was Jackie Brown, yeah uh, came came around. Uh, he called my house. I still have absolutely no idea how I got my phone number, but he called my house. And he said, I get it, you don't want to play any more stupid Abbie's. You don't want to do anything that looks like television. I've written a role for you as a judge in Jackie Brown, and I won't take no for an answer. And I said, "Well, okay, cool, let's go." And then that started me back on the trail. And it and it wasn't like I was like destitute for ten years. I was working for a a, a company called Diamond Entertainment Marketing and was mm-hmm. doing a lot of commercials and infomercials and educational stuff. So I was writing, producing, directing, editing, sticking in the music, doing the whole thing. I was doing entire productions all on my own. Wow. Um, yeah. So I was I was very busy, even though I wasn't busy being an actor.
0: So how do you like life behind the cameras uh, opposed to being in front of the camera?
1: Uh, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a different feel, you know, mm-hmm. you have a, you have a feeling of, Oh God, I wish they had said it this way, but I don't get in people's way unless they're totally off base. Um, but there's a lot of creativity in working behind the scenes particularly with low budgets uh, I mean I, I did about a third of uh, Comcast local television uh, commercials uh, in in that time period and uh, uh, some educational things some documentaries. and uh, it was it was kind of good because you had a chance to create from a different level. Now, you were the word one that was putting the words on the page. That the actor was taking the words off the pages as you it right. Right.
2: Right. Uh, of all the uh, many hats you were wearing at that time, which one would you say was the hardest one to wear? You know, director, cameraman, editor? I don't know. I just...
1: I guess I just have a feel for doing that. Uh, I did tell the guy one day, I said, the one thing I will not do is make the cold calls to get the clients. You give me a client, I'll write the script. I'll narrate it. I'll shoot it. I'll edit it. I'll stick the music into it. Mm-hmm. I'm not, not going to be a salesman. That's it. And, uh,
2: Since I was making money for them, they're okay. Yeah. Don't argue with uh, with success for sure. Yeah, that's it. That's
0: it. What kind of budget ranges do you like working in? When you are behind the camera.
1: Behind the camera, what kind of budgets do I like? Yeah. What kind of budget ranges do you like? Well, large budgets. Because now I can now I can actually bring some production value in, okay, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. some things that uh, might you might not necessarily be able to do if you didn't have enough money.
0: Very very true. It's like the budget does dictate in terms of that. Yeah, yeah. Is there, uh, is there particular uh, things when you're uh, looking at your co-star talent as well, and as well as when you're doing the casting process, that are there certain people that you feel comfortable working with? Can you talk a little there bit are. about that?
1: Yeah, there are. Uh, there are people who are uh, very giving, today, which, is, which is great to work with. Uh, there are people who uh, stick to the character. No. If the character has to be at some point submissive in one way or another, and and they do that, then that's, that just is a, a, an applause for the, for that actor. Right? When you run somebody that always has to win in the scene, whether the scene is written for them to win or not, then it just mm-hmm. becomes a chore, you know? it's a chore to it. Oh.
0: And so, uh, it's like it's good to have that collaborative, making it feel easier process.
1: Yeah, because we're talking about life, you know? Yes. I mean, a, a writer sits down writes a life story or a group of people okay, that he comes up with. And then it's our job to breathe life into those people yep. In within the context of what the writer has put into the story. And when you have somebody who fights that and has to win in every scene, uh,
2: it just is not real. So you're, you're, so you're not a, a, a big fan of the superhero genre, I take it? Uh, no, I'm I'm I'm
1: I'm i <laughs> <Yeah. coughs>
2: Okay. So, So you were doing all the infomercials and projects of, of your own there for a long time, and then Rob Zombie kind of enticed you to come back into the big Hollywood machine. Uh yeah. how 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 did he do that? Uh well uh, I got a call from my agent and
1: I went, Oh my God. What? And he said, Well okay, here's the deal. I said, Well okay, what do I have to do? He said, well you have to go to this office and I'm also and sign a letter on disclosure and take the script home and read it and if you like it, the part is yours. And I went, Well, wow, somebody's got a couple of Sinaches rubbed together. Okay. So I took the yeah. script home and I read it and I loved it. I thought I could have so much fun by captain was that I called the next morning. I said, Let's do this and the first time I actually met Rob was in the wardrobe department when we were getting our fittings for our wardrobe. Uh, He and I had never talked. And um, later, at his wedding reception, I was talking to, we're talking about two years later, Uh, Mm -hmm. at his wedding reception, I was talking to his brother, brother, and he said, uh, God, this is so weird. I said, what, the wedding? He said, no, standing here talking to you. I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, when Rob and I were kids, we used to get up every Saturday morning and watch you on Jason and Star Command and just get scare the crap out of us. And Rob <laughs> said, if I, as Rob was growing up, I kept popping up in films that he liked. And he said, you know, if I ever get to direct a movie, I want that guy in it. And that movie, of course, was House of the Thousand Clubs.
0: Wow. Yeah. So that started a long-term relationship with Rob Zombie.
1: Yeah. Every time he was nine years old.
2: <laughs> yeah. So uh, what would you credit, or who would you credit most for uh, your resurgence of popularity in Hollywood, Quentin Tarantino, Rob Zombie, or Captain Spalding?
1: Well, you can't say Captain Spaulding and not say Rob Zombie at the same time. Yeah, Uh, uh, Rob gave me the opportunity to take what I saw and build on it. I I did shamefully, but I did a lot of improvisational stuff in that film. Uh, And as long as uh, he wound up laughing and having a good time but I know it was okay. Um, he gave me a lot of latitude. He gave me a lot of room to spread my wings. And just,
2: you know, be crazy. And uh, that I appreciate it. Yeah, I, I know you have said that he is one of one of the uh, few directors that you will do anything just about for. Yeah. yeah absolutely uh, but uh i mean congratulations i mean you 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 took that part you you created a true Hollywood horror icon which is uh it you know did did, did you have a sense that's what you were doing when when you, when you were doing that character did you know that he was going to become so so immensely popular not in the least I had no idea. I just wanted to make
1: a good movie. And, uh,
2: and hopefully that's what I did.
1: Almost definitely.
2: Oh, Most definitely. And one of the best uh, DVD menus uh, I've ever seen, too. <laughs> that that was, had to that be fun. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. That was a
2: lot of fun because
1: I got the script for that. About midnight, the night before we were supposed to start shooting it. And I went in in the morning. Wow, what are you going to do? I can't memorize all this stuff and in like a couple hours. And, you know, get some sleep and, and show up to work. They said, well, do you have the high points? You don't want to just got to go? And I said, yeah. And he handed me a jelly donut and a pornographic magazine. He said, go. And <laughs> Uh, yeah. there it was.
0: Wow. So, uh, uh, and it's literally like get up and go.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he did the same thing when I did a music video for him. I had never done a music video before. And I showed up and I said, is there a script? So? What's going on? And he said, okay, here's the deal. You're a pirate, Sherry is a mermaid, so, okay, and <laughs> <laughs> so, so away we went. Wow. And, it's so,
0: like, and, and go. <laughs> yeah.
2: All right, good, good, you made it. Here's your costume. Action. Yeah.
0: Yep. There you go. So what do you uh, so what do you think if uh, looking at back on now and then and what do you think the next big trend in Hollywood is because I know that we're relying So what do you see is the next big trend in Hollywood?
1: I have absolutely no idea. If uh, right now uh, it's like Hollywood is in search of a genre. Okay. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I have a very strong feeling that we're going to wind up with some uh, very political films, okay? uh, because that's that's what we're going through. Um, but uh, I have absolutely no idea, and I, I don't think anybody else does it either. Um, I don't know, they're they're looking they're looking for a place to land, you know. Mm. The instruments the, the instruments on the plane have gone bad,
2: and they're just looking for an airstrip somewhere. Do you think that the small independent uh, movies uh, <clears throat> that are being made these days? Do you think that that could be one direction that Hollywood can go that might help to? Pull them out of this nosedive that all the tentpole failures have gotten them into?
1: Well, if if you find uh, an independent production company that knows what they're doing, uh, unlike most of them who don't and do, you know, really kind of trashy films about. and it's just, you know, let's move from one fight scene to the next. Uh, You know, there's no point.
0: also now that we've hit the digital game of the digital platform coming in that that's going to also push forward the next Hollywood trends because people are loving a lot of the stuff that's becoming original content on things like Netflix and Amazon and Hulu and all of that
1: Um, I I really can't make any differences there There again it seems like it's even more about money Okay.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: like, there are retail department stores that are closing hundreds of stores right now because everybody's just buying everything online. So now the digital uh, scene is, is taking over uh, an industry uh, of sales. And uh, <clears throat> mm-hmm. in contract negotiations with the digital, you know, it, it's a it's a real struggle to get these digital companies Amazon, also one to get them to actually realize that you know people have to make a living. about you, it's all about people. Yeah.
0: True. Very true. Yeah. So, uh, what is, uh, so can you tell us a little bit though about those up and coming projects that you are, uh, that you have in the canon are working on?
1: Yes. I have a film called "I uh, and I quite by accident, I guess, became a producer on the film. Because mm-hmm. after so many years of of working in front of the camera, you can't spend that much time working in front of the camera and not know uh, what's going on behind the camera. And after showing up on the set, I realized that, first of all, we were a young crew, they were filmed. So uh, students. They were uh, theater arts makers, but they were enthusiastic and they were energetic and they were they were sincere and they really wanted to make a good film, but they just really didn't know what their job was, you know. So uh, I went to the executive producer and I uh, told him that you know you need to get a producer in here with some organizational skills that can teach these people some of the steps that they have to go through because they really want to make a good film for you. And he said, well, will you do it? He said, okay, it's number. And the next day I was a producer on the show. And uh, I held a three and a half hour, uh, I think my first AD. And um, I got everybody on the same page. And once they had that little bit of knowledge, it wasn't like they were stupid. Okay? They just needed yep. that extra little knowledge to make their job easier and uh, and better. And uh, it was like we hired a whole group overnight. Everybody just banged. they were all on the same page, and, mm-hmm. uh,
2: and then things went smoothly. Interesting. Do you feel like maybe uh, film schools these days are not fully properly preparing uh, people for the industry?
1: Not at all. See, I went through the Pasadena Playhouse. (laughs) Not many people these days know what that is. At that time, Pasadena Playhouse was one of the four great theater arts colleges in the world. There was yeah. the Royal Academy, the Moscow Art Theater, Cymbals, and the Pascaget of Fire. And you had to learn how to do everything. You never wanted to be caught in the hallway just standing around because a director would come up to you and say, What are you doing? They'd say, Well, I'm just waiting for Fred, we're going to go have lunch. He was, All right, yeah, right. Here. Here's the script. You're costuming my show. Out of the blue. That I'm acting, here. I don't care. Just find the time, make the space, get it done. You're costuming my show, or you're lighting my show, or you're designing my set, um, or whatever the situation. So you learned how to do everything from the ground up. And uh, we started with a class of 150. Two years later, we graduated 32. And then the thirty-two, there were two working actors out of that class. Uh, wow, Rundle, Stuart Urkel played uh, Angel on the Bartlett Files, and myself. Yeah.
2: Wow. Yeah. Talk t- talk about your school of hard knocks, boy. But the, you know, but but they don't teach that kind of discipline anymore, and that's that's the thing is is part of why Hollywood's Slid so far downhill.
1: Yeah, uh, education has become a mental faculty, uh, factory. Okay, we just push them through, push them through, push them through,
2: uh, <clears throat> and uh, and it goes on there. Uh, Grace, what was your what was your question again?
0: My question uh, that I had uh, with it was regarding uh, in terms of the education system um, for actors education. And also, it's like if you had advice to give to future performers and future uh, directors, writers, producers, future industry professionals, what advi- What would be your advice that you would love to give them as your best laid out advice?
1: Um. Wow first of all, you have to find out if you've got a passion for, for what it is you think it is that you want to do. Uh, and if you do have that passion, then I will, uh, quote Winston Churchill by saying, never quit. Never, never, never quit. Uh, David Carradine, was a friend of mine, had a, uh, uh, a great saying, if you will. He said, there are no such things as failures in Hollywood, just people who quit too soon. Okay? The longer you stick with it, the more you learn, the more you learn, the more fun you have, the more fun you have, the better your product, the better your product, the more fun you have, and the more fun you have, the better you become. And And you grow, and you grow, and you grow, and you grow. And if you take a look at what people call Corman College, okay?
3: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, He was responsible for some amazing careers. They never made any money, but he taught them their, their craft, okay? He gave them the opportunity to find out that it's not all about money, that it's about how you feel about what it is that you're doing and wanting to learn more. And uh, that's the environment that has to be created in this town in order for entertainment to to survive.
0: True. I had also a chance to interview Lloyd Kaufman a little while back, who's also a friend of Roger's as well. Uh-huh and uh, so they, uh, it's like he also mimics that, uh, that same sort of feeling how do you feel that also it's like do you think that Hollywood also takes itself too seriously
1: uh, okay. it, uh, they take themselves too seriously in the wrong way they actually think they're doing something important but they're not Hmm.
3: Yeah. okay
1: the ones who do the important Things are the ones who don't most about it. They know what they're doing is right. And so there's no need to, you know, send up flares and pat yourself on the back and tell everybody how wonderful you are.
0: True. It's like they don't need to toot their own horn, the horn is tooted for them.
1: Yeah. That's why they hire, uh, you know, uh, publicists. Okay, you let the publicists do the horn tooting.
2: You just do your job. Yeah, and and I agree with you wholeheartedly about you know you you have to have the passion. You have to want to do, you know, to be an actor. You have to want to do the job. Uh, I I will never forget my first day in of college. I'm in acting class and the teacher who was the head of the school of drama came in, sat down and said, now if you're in here because you want to be come rich and famous being an actor, that's the door over there. Go change your major.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I was given very much the same speech by the, uh, of the of the college at the Pasadena Playhouse. Yeah. He said uh, he, there are three things that are necessary uh, for you to become a successful actor. Number one is rich parents. like, mm-hmm. uh, what? Well, I just stuck out. My parents weren't rich. But it takes a lot of money to uh, be able to promote yourself through your education, and then uh, you have, and particularly in Hollywood, you have to have a car, okay? Because you're all over the place, uh, and uh, rents are expensive, and uh, everything else. So, money wasn't a important kind of factor. Kind On of hearing that, but you, know, you think about it, it's it's true. And number two, he said, you have to be absolutely tenacious. You have to be like a, a, a bulldog. You, know, you grab onto something and hold it until it's yours. And, uh, and that's true. You have to be tenacious. You have to have to drive and say, I'm going to do this no matter what. And he said, the third thing is, if you happen to have a little talent, it'll help. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of tenacity, I was staying in the men's dorm I think I was to, to college, and the kitchen had little cubby holes that you could put your dry goods at, uh, uh, you know, uh, be able to put a meal together. Uh, and nobody put anything in the refrigerator because it would get stolen. Uh, so one day I yeah. opened up the, my little cubby hole with a box of rice. And, Right, I had a slice. I picked the thing up and it was like it was like picking up an empty carton of milk, you know. Almost went like flying across the room. And I had like a healthy
2: I think the worst advice that people give, you know, young people who want to get into, you know, into the business and into the career and into acting and everything, is say, it, it, the. You hear so many people give the advice. Well, you know, that's fine. You know, study that and learn it all. You know, do your best at it, but have a backup plan. Wrong. Yeah. Wrong. Wrong. Wrong.
1: Yeah, Yeah. because nobody starts off life saying, I want to be a hairdresser. But if that doesn't work out, I'll be a brain surgeon. Yeah. Nobody's backup plan is easier than what it is that you really want to do. Yeah. You know, it's just. um, uh, and yeah I understand people have to survive but in order to survive you have to be happy and if you're yeah. unhappy because you've made the wrong choice by taking plan B um, then you've always got that thing in the back of your mind I could have been I could have been an actor I could have been as a set designer, I could have been a lighting technician. I could have been, I could have been, I could have been if I didn't take this other job.
0: Mm hmm.
2: Yeah. Very true.
0: Yeah. Yep. Never live in an would woulda, coulda, shoulda world. Right. Right. And yeah, sometimes it means sacrificing. Sometimes it means, like, yes, you're not going to. Have uh, what you have until you get to the point that you are. Yeah. then, what is it that you're willing to compromise on?
1: Yeah, yeah you, just, you know, you just suck it up, get tough, and keep going. That's it. That's what you got to do.
0: Yeah, and uh, it's like eventually, it will be happening. It will be made. Yeah. Oh yeah. <clears throat> yep. it's like so. What is it that you would want to have any like uh, final words for our audience as well uh, that you would want to impart to them? Um,
1: wow, <clears throat> I think I just said it. Yep. <laughs> um, you know, find something that makes you happy. If you are unhappy in your job. And there's something else that you want to do. And I don't care what your job is. We're not talking just about acting here. Okay. Yep. You could be a welder. All right. And there's nothing in the world against welders because we need welders. Okay. If you want to be a welder and it's tough for you to go to school to do that or whatever it is. Tough. Just it out. Do what you're passionate about. Do what it is that you want to do and keep at it and you'll be successful.
0: Yeah, That's great. And that's awesome advice. So also, the, uh, Sid, so tell me, how do people reach you in social media if they'd like to reach you?
1: I, um, <laughs> I don't do a lot of social media. I have a website, uh, com. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, social media, and I I call it
2: anti-social media <laughs> because yeah. a lot of people yeah. just use it as a bitch section. You know? Yeah. Well, you know, that 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 uh, counterfeit Twitter account uh, yeah. does not give you any real confidence either. I know.
1: Yeah. If people were, if people had to put their real name down as their username, okay. Uh, there'd be a lot less activity on <laughs> on social media sites okay? and, and everybody would know yeah. my one big problem with, with the internet okay, is the white pages okay? because you look people up on the white pages and they're bothered and uh, that's, that's something that's, that crosses the line in terms of privacy Yeah. Yes. Fortunately, I'm blocked. I fought to get that blocked. At one point, there were 19 fake Captain's folders. And I had to hire an attorney who was a specialist in internet law
3: Mm -hmm. uh,
1: to get them permanently banned from whichever, and I won't mention names, whichever social media site they were operating off of uh, because they were doing things that were completely inappropriate. Uh, and uh, I just, I, I, I would put up with it. So I had to spend a lot of money to get rid of those idiots. And uh, you know, it's like, get out of your basement, go yep. make something out of yourself then you can get on and talk about it. Um, so, that's that. Yeah. No, I know I just yeah. made a lot of randomness, but
2: I have to tell the truth. Yeah. No, you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. And like you said, you have, you have the website, so people want to know what's going on with your life. That's, that's where they can go. But, uh, just, just for the people who are listening who uh, may be big fans of yours, and I'm sure a lot of them are, uh, you just came back from Detroit. Do you have any uh, other convention appearances in the near future? Yeah, oh, man, am I book, uh, <laughs> In a couple of weeks, I'm going to UK.
1: Uh, the week after that, Phoenix, the week after that, uh, I believe I'm in Connecticut, and the week after that, somewhere else. Um, it, it's it's an on on ongoing thing i've even got conventions booked in to next february wow very yeah. cool yeah but i love it because i get to connect with the fans very uh because See, everybody gets all blown up about how great they are and this, that, and the other thing. No, no, no. The the thing that makes you the $20 million a picture superstar are the fans. Very little of it's got to do with you. Yeah. With the fans, without the fans, I've got nothing. Okay. And that's why I respect them, I treat them as, as fairly as I can. And uh, I always like to go to the conventions to be able to just chat up with with people and and have a good time. Because they are the people that put food on my table. Keep a roof over my head, clothes on my back, food in my stomach. Yeah.
2: So I have to respect them for that. If more actors felt that way, I think... uh... There'd be a really big change in, in, in how Hollywood runs things. Definitely. Um, I don't know. I, I would hope so, but
1: I can only do what I can do. <laughs> yeah. All
2: right. Well, thank you so much for your time. I know you have a busy schedule. Uh, we hope you had a good time. I did. I had a very good time.
0: And will you come back to us sometime to give us an update of what's going on?
1: Sure. Sure.
0: That'd be fantastic.
1: Yeah. And so I won't say goodbye. I'll say I'll see you later.
0: Absolutely.
1: Okay.
2: Very good. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you.
0: Thank you very much.
2: Okay.